You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning. I invite you to take your scriptures and find again the book of Philippians where we'll be once again chapter 4 now. Chapter 4 verse 2 and 3 is where we're going to be at in Philippians this morning. feels dark outside, is it? It feels like, is it nighttime? But it's not. It must be getting ready to rain, maybe more. I don't know. Uh, as you're on your way to Philippians 4, we've got a picture from last week. Where's Otto in the back? Otto is here. Hey, buddy. There's your picture. So Otto drew this for me. I got a little help from Mom, but this is, uh, this is what Otto drew last week. And the, uh, it, this is all, if you see this picture, this is all the plagues happening at one time. This is back in the time of Pharaoh because the Remember Pharaoh, he wouldn't let the people go. The blue things are the hail, and that guy is the king. That's Pharaoh, and God is doing a work on him. And Otto, thank you for drawing that and appreciate that. That's the Lord, our God, that we serve. He's a God above any other God. So kids, when you draw, I just appreciate you turning in what you have to draw, and thank you, Otto, for that. All right, well, let's look at our text for today. I will just read the two verses here. Philippians 4, hopefully you're there by now. Chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 3. See what God's Word says to us this morning. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray once again. Father, I just come before you and just want to ask before we study your word uh, that you would guide us to hear from you, that your spirit that dwells within every believer would illuminate and reveal to us from your very word how you would have us live as Christ followers, disciples. Lord, as we make disciples, you've sent us to make disciples. You sent us ourselves to become your disciples. Part of that discipleship is getting along. And I pray that you would guide us as we study this about two women, study this passage that your Holy Spirit again would would reveal and guide our hearts, convict where we need conviction, where we need to go do something, where we need to reconcile with someone that you would lead in those ways today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, you've got a few notes in your bulletin. This is a bit abnormal for me, but sometimes I'm a little more prepared than others. But a few notes. In there, you've got one question in your bulletin, and the question maybe near the bottom says this, what is your greatest challenge in getting along with others in the church could it be that not all of us get along could that be a possibility what's your greatest challenge if you got a pen write it down in there what's your greatest challenge or think of it what just comes to your mind not necessarily the best but just what's the greatest challenge to getting along with others in the church maybe it's theological theological someone in the church has a different theological interpretation of a scripture. Maybe it's personality. 
so-and-so, they just talk on and on. Or so-and-so, they never say anything. They're so quiet. So-and-so, they're so funny. They're just laughing all the time. They're so serious. Personality. Is that a challenge? Maybe something in the past has been said to you. Some wrong has been done years ago and it just festers and you go, I remember that. And it bugs me to this day. Challenges abound to, I'm just speaking in-house, to us getting along. Right? We know that if, it's, if that's true in our own families, right? I'm, I'm married to Hannah, I love her, and we have challenges sometimes to get along. How much in the body of Christ? James says this, and he hits the nail on the head when he describes what's behind our conflicts. For some of you, this will be very familiar wording. What causes, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Ken Sandy, I'll refer to him, and some of you went through, we did a class on conflict resolution years ago now, wrote a a small book, I brought it up here with me, we've got one, this is from the library, Resolving Everyday Conflict, but he says this in regards to conflict, and he looks back on this verse of James, and he he makes this statement comparing conflict to those elements um, of a fire, you've got the spark and the gasoline, the fuel, and then the fire itself, he says this, He says, people are different and want different things. That's often the spark of conflict. We're different. Differences get worse when sinful selfishness and pride drive our reactions. Okay, Sinful selfishness, pride, that's the gasoline. That's the fuel. Destruction results when we fail to respond properly and allow our sinful desires to to continue driving our words and actions, that's the fire of conflict. Conflict abounds. And sadly, it's present among God's people, which is probably why it hurts the most when it's amongst God's people. And these are fellow believers. We're on this journey together. If you've been hurt in the church before, that, I don't know that there's a hurt like that where we think we have the highest expectations, this is the place, and yet sometimes we are and can be disagreeable, hurtful. Well, cheer up, right? That's a sad note. Cheer up, because guess what? Disagreements and conflict in the church are nothing new. This is not a... I always got to think, we're in the 21st century, right? This is not a 21st century thing. This goes back and back and back and back. Even back to this church planted, a church planted in Philippi by none other than the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you've got the Apostle Paul started your church and you've got conflict. So there's hope. It's hope we can look back and go, well, they were dealing with it too in this place. And in this case, it's two women named Yodia and Syntyche. Yodia and Syntyche. So look again at verse 2 and let's look at their lives. This is what Paul says in his letter. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Apart from this verse, verse 2, we really know nothing of these two women. You could go into, I think, one 
one place said her Yudia's name means sweet scent or something. Maybe it means pleasant journey. You could get into the names, that sort of thing. But we don't really know. But what we do know is at this point, Paul names names in the church. I mean, can you imagine the church sitting around? Hey, we got a letter from Paul. We're reading through, you know, uh, God will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus, have this mind of Christ. And all of a sudden, Eutyche and Syntyche, the names come up and they go, oh my, he just mentioned our name in here. General, you might say general exhortation, general encouragement is okay, but when it gets specific, now we're, getting, we're, we're kind of touching areas, we're getting personal. But I think they're named, and this is just a perhaps, okay? Put a heading of perhaps on this. Because this squabble of them perhaps seemed to have affected the entire church. Look back on chapter 2 of Philippians, chapter 2, verse uh, 1. Verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. I want you to see if you hear similar themes here. So chapter 2 now, verses 1 through 5. Paul says again, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it goes into that that hymn-like of Jesus' humility. Perhaps at chapter 2, Yodia and Syntyche kind of breathed a sigh of relief. At least there, Paul didn't mention them specifically. But not anymore. Now in chapter 4, their names come out. And here's kind of where I get this from. One commentator, Walter Hansen, I've mentioned him before. I use varied ones, but, but helpful as we go through. Always, let me just a word on commentators. Use them. They're useful. The danger is, what does it mean? Just go right there. We've got to study, meditate first for our own selves, and then let them fill in some of the gaps, or we're really stuck on something. Let them help. But here's helpful. Here's what he says of these two women. He says, Paul's use of the same language when he requests the two women to be of the same mind as he used when he urged the entire church to be like-minded, that's what we just read, chapter 2, connects the problem of disunity in the church with the conflict between these two women. His general call for harmony in the church prepared the way for naming these two women. The only way for the church to be united is for these two women to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now that's one idea. Can we be absolutely sure this is the same thing? Was this the only problem or only squabble in the church? Can't be positive. But it sure seems fitting that the disagreement of a few affected all, the entire body. Last week we spoke the importance of the body of Christ in our standing firm. Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians it's 12, verse 26, if one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The truth is, it, our individual lives, you might feel the weight of this, and that's okay, that's good. Your individual life affects the body. 
Your individual, what feels like just a side conflict, side issue, affects all. If you get a splinter in your pinky, it's hard to ignore it. It affects everything. You're just walking around and it's just there. It's all it is, but the whole body is affected by it. So Paul pleads for unity amongst these women. It's, it's both, you see it twice, it's an exhortation to Euodia, exhortation to Syntyche, for both of them. The ESV uses the word entreat. If you're reading an NASB, you've got I urge, or NIV, I plead. We know from the context here, Paul, he's discussing fellow laborers. These are friends. He's pleading with them. Please, please agree in the Lord. Paul's desire for these two women, it's literally, as we read in chapter 2, to have the same mind in the Lord. I think that's an important phrase in this. To agree, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. And this is totally like Paul to put this in here. It's all over this letter, right? Nothing for Paul is outside of in the Lord. He begins this letter uh, addressing it to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Not just to the saints, saints in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul stays on, he says later in that chapter, stays on uh, to work for their joy in the faith that they may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, we read, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. The call here, it's, it's a unity centered in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That's the center of it, which is normal for this book, normal for our life. Jesus is at the center of this agreement to have the same mind as Him. This is not a secular kind of godless type of let's just agree to this, we're just going to get along, that kind of... This is in Christ. He's at the heart of their having the same mind. So what does it look like to have the same mind of the Lord? Let's just take a little time to think through that. To, to have the same mind, what does that mean? For starters, it means humility, doesn't it? Chapter 2. Jesus humbles Himself. It starts with humility. Further, it just looking, looks like living for the honor of Christ. To look like Him. For living for what Christ wants, not, not me. No longer living for the God of my belly or my needs, which is, that's what James is talking about, our fights and quarrels. My desires, this is what I want. No, dear Christian, it's what Jesus, it's He is on the throne. He is Lord now. Lord Jesus, what do you want? And yet it's hard as we live in this already saved We're being sanctified by the Lord. We're not yet in that glorified, totally transformed body. And we struggle with the flesh and the Spirit. We're not yet perfect, as Paul says. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. So we press on. But does this also mean we just agree to kind of the lowest common denominator? Whatever, however low we can get the agreement, we'll just agree. You know, we don't want to rock any boats, so if you think that, and that's a little, we'll just, we'll just agree. I, I don't think that. I don't think it's giving up truth for the sake of unity. There's a spectrum here, or a circle, as one, one writer talks about. There's a spectrum from the absolutes of the Christian faith, those things that are vital. Eric Thanes, he says this, he calls them the core beliefs of the Christian faith, absolutes. Okay? 
all the way, so spectrum from there all the way to just opinions on less clear issues, not worth dividing over, all the way to questions on unsettled issues. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I've got to guess. That sort of thing. So there's absolutes all the way on a spectrum. So we believe Scripture. It has, has one meaning. And there are certain non-negotiables. Starting from what's, what's most clear in the Scripture, kind of on that spectrum to what's less clear. Or this thing, he kind of pictures it as a, as a bullseye. In the middle of the bullseye of, of what we hold to as Christians is truth, the, the absolutes. Jesus is fully God. And He's fully man. We hold to that. We don't say, oh, you don't think that? Well, we'll just agree and we're okay. That's, you so there's an there's a tr- absolute truth. But it goes out from there. There's absolute truth. It kind of expands. And there's convictions. Well, I'm, I'm really led by Scripture to do that. I'm led. It's, can't quite say it's, it's just as clear. It's a conviction. All the way out to, to an opinion. I like hymns. I like modern worship. It's an opinion. It's kind of out there. It's on the spectrum of, do we need to divide over that? Sadly, some have. But we don't. It's on, a, it's on the outside. And all those are a little different. You might say, well, my conviction is an absolute. And somebody might say, well, my opinion's an absolute. You know, my question's an absolute. You know, work that out by the God's Spirit of what that looks like. But that's kind of the idea. So we need to weigh out what is an absolute. What's a conviction? So I don't think Paul here, I don't think he's flattening out everything, saying agree on everything. But these, remember who we're talking about here, and who he's talking about. These are fellow laborers. Their names are in the book of life. And yet, even those who are laborers, there's missionaries, disciples, all of us. The names are in the book of life. We'll talk about that in a bit. They're struggling with an issue. We, we don't know the specific issue. And, and I think, thankfully, we don't. Otherwise, we'd, we'd say, well, at least we're not dealing with that. There's, there's not a specific nature here. But look at these descriptions once again. Look at verse 3. So back to our text and now verse 3. So he's entreated Eudia Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Opinions abound here on just who this true companion is. Who is Paul referring to? Literally, you might translate it, the, the, my genuine fellow worker. And there's a lot of joint and fellowness in here um, that you see. One commentator, I, th- I think he listed around nine possibilities of whom Paul might have in mind. If you have an ESV, it, it proposes perhaps it's a, it's, a, it's a name of somebody, loyal Sezegus uh, or something like that, okay? There's a name. Is it Luke? Is it Timothy? Maybe it's Epaphroditus. Maybe it's somebody else. We just don't know. But again, the point here is not to identify him for some reason, but to notice this. What does Paul do? Paul enlists the help of someone, a fellow worker to help these women. So those outside of the conflict possess an opportunity to engage with those in the conflict. That's called a mediator, a go-between to help two parties in disagreement. And you might say, I would never do that. Why would I put my foot into a disagreement and a conflict? 
And Paul's showing that. Parents, you're already doing this all the time, probably every day with your kids. You help them, you mediate disputes, so-and-so between so-and-so, and you figure this out, and it's tiring, but you're trained to do this. God's training you through that. You've already got a head start on that. God uses fellow believers to help others in conflict. Well, this verse finishes with some descriptions. They're in the, the relative pronouns here. You'll see them in there, at least in the ESV. There's a relative pronoun of who, who have labored side by side, and whose names are in the book of life. Two of these pronouns. These women described here, they're those who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And then Paul names Clement, we're not sure who that is, and the rest of the workers. These women were part of a group of gospel laborers on the same team, if you will. Yudia and Syntyche, these were not just merely IOs, you know, the interested observers. They're just kind of on the outside. Eh, church kind of looks like this. These are fellow laborers, fellow workers, deeply involved in the life of the church. Which is perhaps, again, why Paul maybe brought this disagreement to light, naming them in the first place. They made up, as we talked about last week, that wall of the church for us to stand firm. They made up part of that wall. But with internal strife, there's a breach in that wall. They can no longer stand side by side as the picture of the gospel, but opposed face to face, opposed to one another. And so conflict hinders the work of the gospel, of the church. And disunity clouds and hides the glory of Christ. Jesus said this, and it goes right along with what Milt read out of 1 John today. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. Remember? If you have love for one another. These are fellow laborers. There's a call to them. They're also fellow saints fellow saints whose names are written in the book of life, along with these others. This book of life. I think it's the only time Paul mentions this book, but it's the book of the righteous. It's dimly perceived in the Old Testament. You can find places, Daniel 12 or Psalm 69, places where this book is mentioned, but given new light by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's a book, Revelation tells us multiple times, a book written, guess when? Before the foundation of the world. Recording those who would inherit eternal life. A listing of names secured by the blood of the Lamb. It's really a glorious book of God's sovereign writing and His sovereign plan. So why does Paul use it here? I think the context, again, it's not my own, like, when well, I came up with it. The context of this particular phrase, book of life, is fascinating. And it relates back to uh, verse 20, uh, no, verse 20 of Philippians 3. See verse 20, Philippians 3? What Paul say? Our citizenship is in heaven. Again, Walter Hansen, he says this. Think about this. Paul just said, your citizenship is in heaven. Remember that. And then, how these women agree, their names are in the book of life. Here's what he says. The citizens of the Roman colony of Philippi 
who have their names recorded in a civic register of citizens, a book, right? Know that they have the duty to live in harmony and peace with one another. It's part of the Roman colony. The citizens of the colony of heaven in the Roman colony of Philippi who have their names written in the book of life in heaven are called by their Lord above all powers to live in peace with one another. The anticipation of the Lord's appearance from heaven is the primary motivation for unity among those whose names are in the book of life. As citizens of the heavenly kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, they have an obligation to live like the citizens they are because their name is in that book. These women are fellow believers. Their names are written in the same book. They have died to this world. They have new life, and the new life gives ability to agree, to reconcile. For they too have been shown mercy, and they've been reconciled to God by this humble sacrifice of the Lord. They await the same Savior. They serve the same Lord. There's a call to agree. There's a call for help. I want you, true companion, Senegas, whatever, whoever it was, help these women. I want to close with just some practical help for us as we think about, fast forward our day, some help on resolving conflict. And again, for some of you that have gone through Ken Sandy or you recognize that name, uh, started a uh, ministry called Peacemaker Ministries. Um, whether you're in the midst of a current conflict, as we bring this up and you go, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I, I can see that. Or you say, you know, God has put me, I'm, I'm seeing this disagreement and this, and he's, I don't know why, I wish it was somebody different, but I'm placed in the middle of this. What do I do? Here's a few helps, a few thoughts as we uh, bring this to a close. One is that conflict resolution begins with the gospel. Agree in the Lord. Understanding first, how does the gospel help us? It, it understands that, that we too were in a, in a far greater conflict with Almighty God and counted an enemy in our sin. That's what we were in, but God in His mercy forgave us. And the gospel breathes new life in us by the Spirit with the ability then to do what God has, God has commanded to agree. Now we have the ability to do that. We wrestle with that flesh, but we have an ability now. So consider first, are you in this conflict, are you born again? Have you come to Christ as Savior? The Gospel empowers our ability as new creatures to deal with conflict and the relational challenges that we all, all of us face. And then for all of what we dread of a conflict, when I, you know, when I think of that, I don't think, that, that sounds like a, that sounds great. Conflict. Sandy points this out, and I so appreciate it. Conflict is an opportunity. And it's changing our mindset to go, I hate conflict. I want to flee from it. To, it's an opportunity. Well, how is this an opportunity? Three ways he mentions. One is to glorify God. He says, it's an opportunity to bring Him praise and honor by showing who He is, what He is like, and what He is doing. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to glorify 
God in conflict. Another opportunity is to serve others. If you think of conflict this way of serving someone, to think about them. He says, this sounds absurd from a worldly perspective because the world says, look out for number one. But Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Can you serve the one you're in conflict with? Absolutely. And we're given clear direction by Jesus. Another opportunity hits close to home, and that's to become more like Christ. Lo and behold, God, in the midst of conflict, is actually doing a doing a work in us to make us more like Himself, who was the servant of all, who died for His enemies. Below in your notes, you've got the four G's of peacemaking. I'll fill in the blanks for you if you love that sort of thing, or if you hate that sort of thing, to fill in blanks, just fill them in anyway. But four G's here, thinking about you're in a conflict, What do I, I'm here right now, I'm, I know this afternoon I'm going to see so-and-so or whatever. What are some some tips and that sort of thing. And this, this is what he points out. Again, glorify God. Keeping the main thing the main thing. The question here is to glorify God. Number one, how can I please and honor God in this situation? Do you see the shift? The focus goes from how do I please myself? How do I get what I deserve? How do they get what they deserve? Lord, what do you want? What honors you? See how it changes the focus. Number two is biblical. Get the log out of your eye, right? You see that speck in a brother's eye? It looks huge, but the call here is for self-examination. How, the question is, how can I own my part in this conflict? What's mine to own here? What a great place to start. Husbands and wives, may we start there more often. What is my part in this? Not just them and their problem. What's, what's my part? Get the log out of your eye. Number three is to gently restore. Gently restore. So conflict resolution, resolving a conflict, agreeing, kind of like what we talked about, doesn't mean we just lay down and we don't hold accountable those that have hurt us. We don't say, well, that's okay. Run over me anytime. That kind of idea. That, that maybe you might choose to overlook and say, I can overlook that. But maybe you need to confront that person. The call is to do it with gentleness and a servant heart rather than demanding it. Pastor Sermon was on conflict. He said to confront. I'm going to confront. There's a gentleness. There's a, a servant heart in it. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution? You would not, right? You would not want your surgeon, if you're going to have surgery, to come in the operating room with an axe. That's a bad way to do surgery. You want him to come with the sharpest of tools to make as little cut as he needs to. That's the idea of gently restoring. Will it cut somebody? Will you say, this hurt me. I'm not in agreement. We're not. Can we get on the same page? I need to be truthful. We cut. We're coming with the ax. It's just well, it's blood everywhere, right? Number four, then, these four G's of peacemaking is to go and be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. This involves, here's what Sandy says, actively pursue or pursuing genuine peace and reconciliation, forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. 
and seeking just and mutually beneficial solutions to our differences. So the question here, how can I demonstrate God's forgiveness? And how can I encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict? Do I have it with me? Yeah. I show these every now and then. It looks like a brochure to go somewhere. It's not. It's a, some principles of peacemaking. You find what I talked about in here. I just put some more out in the front on the table out there. I would love to see them gone. Take them and use them, and you'll see some of these things in there if they're helpful. Uh, the books are here in the library, Resolving Every Day. This is short. This is long, called The Peacemaker. Whatever you're into, um, ask me if you want to borrow these and read and help. Help you agree in the Lord. So agreeing in the Lord involves death. It's a dying to self, living for Christ. Actively obeying what our God has commanded. We're going to close in a little different way today, how we don't maybe normally. We're just going to simply listen to a song by a group called the Sidewalk Prophets. You're going to hear in this song a familiar theme of Philippians. As we listen to the song, the words will be up on the screen. I want you to consider what does it look like, you know, on the top of your bulletin, it's for, for to me to live is Christ. And we're in the, the thick of it in conflict. What does that look like here in the midst of conflict? It, it's a wonderful phrase to say, well, I live... Eat. For me to live is Christ on these sunny days, right? And then we're in a conflict. This is hard to live for Christ, and it is. I want you to consider that the commitment to hold to when we face the challenges around us in getting along with others, be it in the church, in our families, wherever, and consider this song. Why don't we stand together and we'll pray as we close here. Father, I pray for each one of us as we go out from here and to live for Christ. I pray first, Lord, that's the desire of every soul and heart in this room, from the young to the old, that we could sing along and say, for to me to live is Christ. You are at the the center of what we're after and our goal and our purpose to bring you glory and honor in our lives. Where there is conflict in the place you've chosen for us, Lead us, Lord. Guide us to follow your word, not our hearts, not our feelings, but to follow your word and your commands and to see you provide and to trust you. Equip us, Lord, to be peacemakers. Equip us to agree in the Lord as those whose names are written in the book of life that we would be fellow laborers laboring side by side for the gospel of our Lord and Savior. May this be the case in each one of us And we pray in your name. Amen. Go in God's peace. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.